Welcome to the Economic Development Matters podcast. I'm Brianna Morris, and together with my co-host Sherry Baslama, we talk about matters related to economic development and why it matters. Sherry and I work together at Edmonton Global, where we focus on attracting investment into the Edmonton region and helping our local companies expand internationally. On this podcast, we discuss how we can compete globally and build a sustainable and prosperous economy to enhance the lives of the people in our communities. Today, we are talking with Andrew McIsaac. He's the CEO of Applied Pharmaceutical Innovation, an organization that is located here in the Edmonton region. Andrew, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on the show. You bet. Uh, Can we start by maybe having you share a bit about your background? My background comes primarily from the intersection of post-secondary institutions uh, and industry. I spend a lot of my time uh, working on partnerships to essentially do more with uh, the education system that we have here. Uh, and enable it to be better responsive to industry and its needs. Um, uh, I spent a lot of my career at UBC and then uh, came to the U of A in 2014 uh, here. And uh, one of the first things that uh, that I did was uh, begin to work towards something that had been an issue that I'd seen um, in BC and beyond uh, and something that has been a big challenge in Canada uh, which is enabling uh, startups and spinoffs in life sciences to to move forward and uh, commercialize their technologies. Uh, it's something that at UBC we'd see. You know, we'd have uh, a spinoff company that would be a scientist, and they get assigned an MBA grad. They'd spin their wheels and go nowhere. Um, and uh, one of the one of the sort of great objectives that I had in moving to uh, Edmonton. Uh, I grew up in Edmonton. I actually, it was a return home. Okay. Uh, so many people return here. I There's know. a reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm so glad I did. Uh, so uh, for me, uh, one of the big things I wanted to do was to, to change the way we commercialize life science uh, products. And uh, that led me down my road, uh, moving from the pure business side to the faculty of pharmacy and pharmaceutical sciences, where I was assistant dean, uh, and then launched uh, API. Is this problem unique to the life sciences? Is there a reason that you've kind of focused or honed in on that area? It's a problem that's in many sectors, especially ones that are technically complicated. Um, but uh, I would say that life sciences is one of the most complicated. It's one where, you know, in most cases, when you have a discovery of a new product, that product is, you know, 10 years away from being on the commercial market side. So it's very unique in terms of the timeline, the amount of money that needs to go in before you're even selling the product on the market. Um, and then add into the fact that you're dealing with things that could kill people if they're you know, administered wrong, if they're manufactured wrong, if they're researched wrong. Like There's all kinds of right. uh, regulatory processes that are put in place to ensure that uh, the discoveries that we have are safe and effective um, before they're even put into the first human. Yeah. Uh, and so it obviously makes for a much more challenging commercialization journey than someone who, you know, invented an algorithm that's used in an app or, you right. know, a new way of, um, you know, uh, testing for a hydrocarbon, that right. type of stuff. That There is a lot more of that regulatory uh, pathway associated with it, but there's also a lot more upside. So the, the few companies that make it onto the commercial market are almost immediately unicorns. Like they're billion dollar companies. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it's a very high potential area, yeah. especially given the um, expertise that we have here in the region. Uh, it's something that if we play our cards right, we could see multiple unicorns coming 
uh, out of our research institutions in the in the next decade. Uh, and those are those are transformational uh, type of activities on a regional economy. So, by unicorn, that is that over a billion in revenue? Is that or how do we define a unicorn? Uh, generally, it's a company that's publicly traded and has a valuation of over over a million. Sorry, over over a billion dollars. Okay. Um, okay. And you know, that's in the tech sector. That's the uh, thing kind that of the most gold standard, yeah, it's, it's right? what they it's aspire what, yeah. to, and it, it, it's something that are, is benchmarked around the world. You know, you look at uh, innovation centers and um, uh, regions, and to be like, oh, these guys have you know five unicorns within them and they've got, you know, uh, all that sort of growth and potential. Well, in life sciences side, every company is, is essentially a, uh, a unicorn once they're on the commercial market, because it is, you know, a very long arduous process to get there. Uh, and the ROI, uh, essentially turns them into that, uh, uh, once they're, once they're listed. That's super exciting. So we mentioned you're the CEO of Applied Pharmaceutical Innovation, which is a very cool asset that we have here in the region. Can you give us kind of a high level, Who, what is API and what do you do? Yeah, so API is a not-for-profit uh, organization. Uh, we are uh, independent from the publicly funded post-secondaries in the region, but we work very closely with them. Uh, and our core mission and mandate is to provide that bridge between uh, the academic side and the industrial side in a way that supports uh, sort of three core areas. One is the growth and success of spinoff uh, companies and startups within the region. Uh, two is the ability for us to train um, uh, graduates of post-secondary programs in, in real-world scenarios in the sector. Uh, and then the third is unlocking the potential of uh, the knowledge that we have here for industry overall. So, you know, large companies, small companies coming here and doing uh, translational research and development, uh, licensing intellectual property, and building the economy from, you know, the, the massive potential that we have in the life sciences in our post-secondaries, because uh, it's, a, it's a huge asset for the region. Um, the academic rigor and the discovery research that happens here. Mm -hmm. And what we do uh, as an organization is work to unlock that uh, for the broader public good uh, and, you know, enable enable them to to reach the commercial market, treatments to, to reach patients and uh, folks to have high-paying, great jobs in a sector that's really, really interesting, exciting, and uh, high-impact. How many years have you been in operation now and what are some of your... I guess, highlights in that time. Yeah, wow us with your stats, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so for us, we sort of launched in an informal way uh, within the University of Alberta back uh, in 2017. Uh, originally, the vision was maybe to turn it into an institute. Um, but as we piloted it, it became really clear that there was a higher potential for us to have a broader impact if we spun it out as an independent not-for-profit. Um, What's what would an institute have looked like? Can you just really like define what those that difference is? Yeah, so an academic institute is one that's housed within the university from a structural, legal, uh, financial, um, and operational perspective. Um, you know, a great example of an institute would be the Lee Cushing Institute of Virology. Right. Um, the challenges with an institute within the university. Uh, is it still is a little bit um, uh, at odds with the mission of API, which was to bring down some of those barriers that are uh, natural within uh, research-intensive institutions 
uh, that makes it difficult for them to work with industry. So we really found that by becoming an independent body that understood the framework and how things are approached from an academic side, but also understood the industry side and were also funded predominantly by industry projects, which kept us, you know, very responsive to the industry needs, right. was that perfect sort of marriage that then uh, enabled us to grow. And I think we're one of the very few organizations um, in our space in Canada that has started out in a grassroots way being uh, funded by industry projects uh, to fund the operations. Usually what happens is, you know, there's a large grant that comes down that funds a, a program or initiative that then goes out and tries to get um, industry buy-in or, you know, uh, the, the scope or scale that they need to be self-sustaining. We started out uh, sort of growing in this self-sustaining way um, uh, through the validation of the industry projects that we're doing and really showing the need and the uh, potential of what we're doing. And it put us in a really unique position as an organization. Now we're about 60 staff uh, in-house. Oh, wow. Uh, and we work with a wide variety of post-secondary in, uh, institutions um, and operate a scale-up uh, incubator in the Edmonton Research Park uh, that's uh, 72,000 square feet. Uh, and this is all pre uh, an announcement that came out recently of a large influx of federal dollars towards uh, yeah. what we're doing. And we're going to talk about that later. But before we move on from that, I still I still want to give you a chance to brag about the impact that you've been able to have since you were founded, because I think there's some pretty impressive numbers, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So for us, we we've helped uh, in this uh, span of of five and a half years uh, over fifty five uh, companies. Um, we've directly touched over, um, you know, depending on the metrics and the, the, the way you frame it, we've touched over well over 200 trainees who have been involved in us in one way, shape or form. Um, uh, the companies that we've incubated have now hit a combined market cap of over half a billion dollars. Uh, and you know, this is just getting started. So we've got companies that have had more traction even even recently, like Hepion and the Research Park just raised $200 million uh, in the past few years. We've got uh, Arinia, which is a unicorn, moving back its offices to uh, to Edmonton. Um, uh, they got their first FDA-approved drug uh, just recently as well. Um, and that's a big deal to get it. Oh, drug it's huge. It's one FDA. of 10 yeah. uh, companies in Canada. Sorry, not. it's one of 10 approved products that have come from Canada. Uh, and that's a drug that was invented here in uh, in Edmonton. Like it's it's huge uh, to participate on that type of stuff. Um, we've had a a lot of growth across the sector, especially during COVID nineteen, with the idea of reshoring uh, within the region. Uh, the success of some of the companies that were working uh, in the vaccine space, uh, like Entos Pharmaceuticals, which right. uh, did a, a very, very large deal um, uh, recently of about $400 million. Like this is a sector that's growing uh, and it's picking up steam and growing rapidly. Um, we start to see a lot more um, of the, uh, of the impacts in it, of it in the coming years. And one of the things that sometimes happens from a visibility perspective, um, because Edmonton is a, um, uh, sort of commercial R&D hub. We don't always have the companies headquartered here, but we're doing a lot of the work for them. Mm. So the Hepion one's a good example that their their company is based um, on paper in Edison, New Jersey, but their entire leadership and R&D team is here in Edmonton. 
Uh, and so these are these are little hidden gems in the region that doesn't, you know that two hundred million doesn't pop up in sort of the venture cap of the region, but the money's all being spent. It still has an impact on the economy here. Oh, exactly. And well, take the biggest example is the Gilead manufacturing facility that's here in town. Uh, so that's a I think it's about a half a billion dollar piece of infrastructure that employs like three to four hundred Edmontonians in very high paying jobs, and it's one of the uh, the crown jewels of Gilead's uh, presence. Uh, their main headquarters is in Foster City uh, in California, but um, a lot of their uh, preclinical and early market uh, manufacturing of their uh, active pharmaceutical ingredients is done here. Right. Uh, and and it's done, you know, as a critical part of their global supply chain. Cool. So tell us now about the Canadian Critical Drug Initiative, which I, we just alluded to a little bit earlier. Um, how did that come about? What was What was the idea that sparked it? Absolutely. So uh, the Canadian Critical Drug Initiative was a project that we undertook um, with Edmonton Global, actually, in probably late March of 2020. Um, There was a lot of focus in the pandemic on the need for PPE, ventilators, vaccines, and, and especially in the early days when people were really sort of seeing patients that needed to be on that ventilation there was a there was a, a big big uh, push to try and build more manufacturing capability. Uh, what the public didn't see is at the same time there was a massive issue within the hospital system where folks were looking for some of the critical drugs that they needed even to put people on ventilators. Right. Uh, like propofol is a drug that's used to sedate people for surgery, for ventilators, for pretty much anything, uh, and it's a key component of the health system. COVID-19, you know, there was patients, uh, a single COVID patient that would eat up all of a region's supply uh, because of the fact that they needed to be on a ventilator and on a ventilator for so long. Um, uh, so was it was it shortage of drugs? Was it vulnerabilities in the supply chain? Like what, what was leading to those shortages? Yeah, so within the uh, global market for drugs, uh, over the past sort of 30 years, there's been a... Uh, a trend that's moved towards building very, very, very large facilities that can produce a huge amount of volume at a very low cost, uh, predominantly from the chemical input side in China and for the fill finish in uh, in India. And it became it's become a little bit of a just-in-time supply chain where the the excess product in the marketplace at any given point in time is very low. Uh, and so whenever there's any sort of disruption, it causes a, a big issue with drug shortages. I think right. pharmacists uh, across the country probably spend about 20% of their time uh, tracking down drugs that are in shortage. And this is a pre-COVID-19 problem right. uh, that just sort of is one of the downsides of uh, the way that we have the market set up for these products. And it's something that has been looking for you know, scenarios to address some of these uh, challenges while at the same time keeping medication costs low. Because obviously, you know, looking at it from an economic standpoint, it makes total sense to have uh, specialization where you get those large-scale production to get the highest value uh, for the hospital systems and the consumers. But at the same time, it comes with big vulnerabilities. Uh, And, you know, COVID-19 really, really showed that. So when we were early in the pandemic, um, we were approached by Edmonton Global to say, you know, we're putting together a package to try and figure out what role the Edmonton Metro region can Play in the uh, the recovery from COVID. You know what what what's our sort of position within this uh, global challenge this size facing, and 
that was one of the big items that we highlighted was, well, you know, we already do some of this manufacturing within the region. We've got uh, a very strong fundamental on the petrochemical sector. We've got the the right people from the talented perspective. We've got the uh, integrated uh, single buyer within the province from AHS. Why don't we put together something that will essentially build this capacity for Canada? Uh, and, you know, maybe we we're a little bit too early for the time back then because people were still focused on the vaccines and those other pieces. But as the pandemic pro- progressed, um, that message started to come out more and more that, you know, it's not just those direct components related to the treatment of COVID. It's also all of these other products that are critical and we don't have that capacity um, uh, within Canada. And so uh, as the pandemic uh, moved along, we sort of iterated the the idea a bit more and, and essentially um, uh, have built out what is uh, Canada's uh, response to drug shortages tied with a massive, massive innovation project focused on company creation out of the Lee Cushing uh, Applied Virology Institute um, that we really think will provide uh, the ability for us to produce drugs in uh, a crisis, as well as uh, enable companies that are growing and scaling here in the region to stay here, Mm. uh, particularly on the manufacturing side. And, you know, 10 years down the road, we'll be seeing a lot more of those Gilead-style uh, and size manufacturing facilities in the region and innovative companies, you know, pursuing all sorts of R&D uh, and, and really seeding that cluster. I like the sound of that. You mentioned that part of this came down to federal funding. Can you talk a bit about how, like, how the project progressed? How were you able to, you know, get it kind of across that finish line where there was an actual announcement that this was going to take place here? Yeah, so this was a very big team effort. Um you know, it, it's uh, it's always challenging to to get uh, public sector investment in these types of, of projects. Uh, and so essentially over a period of three years, working with uh, Edmonton Global, with the post-secondaries, and with a network that almost spanned all of Canada, uh, we worked to sort of show that, you know, this was the right initiative, this was the right region, uh, and that the timing was ripe. And there is like an urgency around it because right now we're in a phenomenal opportunity as there's a reshoring of a lot of this types of manufacturing. Um, it's a sector that Edmonton can play a very natural role in uh, that we've you know been able to capture and, and put in place uh, to, to basically provide a, a massive incentive for companies that are looking to set up here. Um, you know, having access to uh, a like a global commercial scale fill finish capacity uh, is you know a large amount of capital spend that they don't need to spend to to launch their company, and then also to having it tied into a uh, training and um, sort of talent development program um, means that you know not only are we able to hang our hats on having you know very low cost of living, low taxes, ease of sort of that. Uh, innovative talent, we can also say, well, we can we can additionally save you time and money in terms of the actual plant itself, and we can train people directly in those types of manufacturing facilities. Um, that's an incentive that's worth way more than any kind of um, uh, tax break or government grant that's coming to those companies. Counts huge, right? Exactly, yeah. and so so that that piece I think will be a big different differentiator for the region uh, over the next ten years. We'll we'll be able to leverage it to uh, to transform the amount of companies that are coming here and also to uh, the ones that are growing out of the uh, innovation that we have. Well, I think it's very cool. 
Yeah, when you mentioned it's it was national recognition that this was the right region to do it in. Um, Edmonton, the region is very humble. Um, and until I joined Edmonton Global a couple of years ago, like I didn't even, to be honest, I didn't realize the presence of the life sciences in our region. Oh, for sure, people don't even now recognize the potential, right? Like I, I, I no, I don't think there's an awareness that it could be a huge economic driver for the region. So I think what you guys are doing are really is really cool and excited to see the impacts, you know, 10 years down the road. I wanted to ask you about, so I know Toronto Global has put out a white paper about um, wet lab space and a shortage of wet lab space. Is that a problem here? Is, is that something that CCDI is going to help? And I should say CCDI is the Canadian Critical Drug Initiative. Um, is that something that you guys are hoping to address oh, as sorry. well? For listeners, what's what's a wet lab? Yeah, good. I, I don't actually know. I've heard there's a problem. There's a shortage of them. Talk, Andrew. So it's actually a very big opportunity that we're looking to catalyze on. Um, and this is a global issue, is there is a lack of uh, facilities um, around the world for companies that are doing research and development in a sort of traditional lab environment. So, you know, if you're thinking of what a dry lab is, a dry lab is, you know, a desk with a computer. A wet lab is what you typically consider to be a lab when you think about it in your mind. So of, you know, a scientist, and yeah, pipettes exactly, and no exactly. <laughs> Maybe less beakers, but more pipettes. Okay. Uh, uh, and so that's that's really a, a big challenge in the sector, and it's also one that there's not a lot of good solutions for. The big the big component is life science companies are very very adverse to spending and investing in capital. Uh, until they've hit a certain point in their development. Most of the money that they're raising early on is going towards uh, the science and then the clinical trial costs. Tr clinical trial costs are one of the most expensive components okay. of developing a product. And so, you know, a company that raises $100 million isn't building out lab facilities for themselves very often. For the most part, that money's all going into the clinical trials with the idea that as it moves forward through that and they get... Uh, proof of efficacy in humans, all of a sudden, it's clear that they have a much higher potential of being one of those those unicorns. Uh, and then they start to build you know, their own facilities, their own infrastructure, and it switches from a paradigm of how do we get this far along without spending very much money to how do we get this as fast as possible? Because uh, we know it's going to be a hit, and so we'll spend whatever it takes. Uh, and so the challenge for life sciences is there's probably out of every hundred companies, five of them hit that sort of unicorn status, but there's a hundred of them that don't. And so how do you house those companies that don't want to spend that capital yet uh, and have them be able to grow within your region? The regions that have figured it out have built lab capacity that then, you know, is absorbed by all of these companies as they grow, fail, grow, fail. Uh, and then, you know, the big ones go and, and build, you know, like the Gilead facility here in town, these, you know, these massive, massive, you know, billion dollar facilities and plants. Um, and from an economic development opportunity, being able to capture those companies as they're growing, as they're that sort of 10 to 50 to 100 person organization is is critical. But because of the fact that uh, lab infrastructure is expensive, it's not something that many um, uh, sort of traditional folks who are investing in real estate do because you can build a warehouse for 120 bucks a square foot or you can build a lab facility for uh, like $1,600 a square foot. 
And so there's a bit of a challenge there from a regulatory standpoint and from a policy standpoint where, you know, you might build a warehouse and it sits there and there's like three employees in every 10,000 square feet, or you build a lab and there's like, you know, 50 employees with every 10,000 square feet or more. Uh, and so it's actually a big economic impact, but from the sort of the sector of like developing a piece of real estate, it's not really there. And so one of the big things that we're doing and pushing for as an organization here is a push to build out more of that lab infrastructure because we can build it cheaper in the Edmonton region. Why is that? Uh, low cost of labor. We're used to building a lot of warehouses. We're used to building a lot of the, uh, you know, the big sort of technical components of, of the oil and gas sector. Yeah. Um, land is not as expensive. Land is cheap, than a lot of yeah. yeah. <laughs> Labor is cost effective. Like all of these things play into the ability for us to build those those sort of labs in a more cost effective way. Um, that you know, yeah. If you're if you're building here, you're looking at maybe like six hundred to seven hundred dollars per square foot for lab facility. Like it's definitely a lot cheaper than in those overheated hubs, and so. Uh, if you position that type of thing right, you can actually attract a lot of those companies that are then going to grow into the unicorns that are then investing, you know, the the billions of dollars into their into their larger larger scale capacity. And a lot of lot of regions that are traditionally biotech uh, regions have sort of come out from you know sleepier towns that weren't you know that weren't really um, uh, weren't really hotbeds of the tech industry, but had good, solid universities. They had, you know, lots of land. They had lots of these input pieces that we have. Yep. Uh, and so, um, you know, the opportunity for us to to build out more of this infrastructure to support companies um, is is one that will pay massive dividends and and really help with the the market share of the region too. Um, uh, because there's no region, there's no reason why a company um, needs to pay, you know, double for their lab space, especially when they're trying to reduce costs um, uh, when they can build it here. So uh, that's one of the things we're we're working on, and, and it's our, it's our next um, objective post uh, the success of the Canadian Critical Drug Initiative. We have some of those components built into the initiative, and we're working very actively to to develop more space in the Edmonton Research Park in the adjacent areas around. Uh, to try and capture that momentum so that we can have uh, the perfect environment for companies that are looking to expand and grow uh, moving into the region, as well as ones that are uh, partnering with uh, labs that are in the region, as well as, you know, our homegrown uh, companies coming out of the post-secondaries here. Mm, very informative. Um, anything else you'd like to share with listeners, Andrew? Uh, hmm. I think... Did we talk about, the like, the collaboration collaborative effort that it took to get CCDI across the line? Did, were you able to? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's really important to highlight how much of a regional effort the CCDI was. Um, you had buy-in from every single mayor in the Edmonton Global Municipalities Group. 14. 14 of them uh, who signed on uh, in support to try and make this happen. Uh, we had buy-in from the provincial level uh, with an early support through their vaccine RFP program. Uh, and we had support from a whole bunch of folks at the federal level. And, you know, it was something that um, uh, had something for everyone in it uh, and really, 
really was a great example of what we can do together. Because um, that investment that was made is like one of the largest in in Canadian history in that space. Yeah. Um, and it's something that, you know, I think shows also to the interdisciplinary value of the life sciences as a sector. It's something that, you know, if you invest in the sector, it's creating jobs for folks who are in, you know, warehousing, uh, folks who are in the construction industry, folks who are in data and modeling, folks who are in uh, careers in petrochemical engineering. Like there's, there's a whole bunch of sectors touched by it more broadly. And so I think that's one of the, one of the uh, wonderful things about it is it's a really diverse sector. Um, the, the work that we did uh, to bring it across the finish line, though, wouldn't have been possible without everyone there in the room pulling together. Like it took, it took you know, countless calls from people, whether it be, you know, the mayors who are reaching out to uh, contacts in Ottawa, the, you know, the tremendous support from the University of Alberta, uh, and, you know, essentially the, the combined effort that we'd had with them, uh, I think, is a model for the way that um, uh, a post-secondary institution can take up a, a challenge that is, you know, much bigger than itself and, you know, really provides that regional impact. So that, that, um, that partnership between API and the University of Alberta was, was key to making it happen. Uh, and then, you know, the... the uh, sort of support that we received um, in in championing it, in you know having roundtables with um, uh, federal ministers, going out on you know advocacy tours, and all that stuff that had come from uh, from Edmonton Global over like this is a span of three years. Uh, every single little bit moved the needle a bit further towards a yes, uh, and actually became a bit anticlimactic towards the end uh, because we had moved the needle to ninety five percent. Uh, for you know, you know, uh, like the final six months, and we were just I waiting. I think we for that were final driving stuff. your team crazy when we were reaching out every week. <laughs> Are we doing an announcement yet? Do we get to talk about this yet? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, meanwhile, at the same time, I was driving your team crazy, and when we were texting, you know, folks being like, "Hey, you know, can you reach out to this person? Can we reach out to this person? We haven't heard back from this person yet." So, you know, it was this single team approach. Um, that made it happen, and you know, I think, I think now it's going to be a full team approach to to make the most out of it. Awesome! Thank you so much, Andrew, for your time. I think listeners will find this really informative. Um, yeah, it, great story about the CCDI. I think it goes to show, like, when you have a shared vision and everybody's kind of moving in the same direction, what's really possible. So, thanks for sharing that. Absolutely, it's my pleasure. I look forward to you know in the future months and years ahead, sharing updates on all the great stuff that's coming out of this, because that's the real potential and the amazing part of it. That's a wrap for today. Thank you for tuning in to the Economic Development Matters podcast brought to you by Edmonton Global. For more information about Edmonton Global or to get in touch, visit our website, edmontonglobal.ca. Follow us on social media, on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. And don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform, so you'll be among the first to know when a new episode drops. Thanks for listening. We hope you learned something new about why economic development matters.